0: Thank you for joining Dyslexia Uniquely Gifted, where you will hear biblical truths that will uplift and challenge you to find a place for dyslexia in your life and let Christ take center stage of your life. This episode is another short devotional to help you get your day started. So please pause for a moment, take a deep breath, and be blessed. Is he? This is a series that we will be working on for the next several weeks. With our Bible in hand, let's answer this question. Christ asked his disciples two questions one day as they traveled from Bethsaida to the coast of Caesarea, Philippi, approximately 25 miles in distance. Whom do men say that the Son of Man am? Jesus said. And they said to him, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets he said unto them but whom say ye that i am this is matthew 16:13 through 15 this discussion is one we must enter into because how we answer this question says a lot about how we are responding to life events someone once said and i don't remember who that satan lights the fire but it is christ who holds steady the dial and he alone knows when the fire has completed his work of refining our character. This lesson came to bear when my mother had a stroke and suffered greatly. How I answered this question, who is Christ, the day before her stroke, is very different than how I answer that question today. Christ has not changed, but I have. The way I answered the question, who is Christ, 30 years ago, when I learned that I had dyslexia, is very different than how I would answer that question today as it relates to my dyslexia. Christ has not changed, but I have. So you see, how we answer this question is based on what we know and believe about Christ. Unfortunately, we often base what we believe about him on how we feel about what he is allowing, good or bad. Jesus said to the Father, but the hour comes, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is John four twenty-three and 24. Christ is seeking those who will worship him by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, who has promised to lead us into all truth, for he is truth the way in life. When we do, we base what we know and believe about him on his word, not singularly on what he is allowing. Circumstances do not change Christ, they change us, and what we believe about him becomes the filter in which we view life. You can read John 16:13 and John 14:16 for reference here. Jesus said, in John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This is a perfect example of Jesus himself defining who he is. He says, I am light, not only light, but I am the light of the world. The question is, do we believe him? And then we have to figure out what does he mean by I am the light of the world? When the truth about Christ is accepted, we are given grace that empowers us to trust what the Bible says about Christ. The truth has the power to always dispel our darkness and empower us to remain steady, faithful, and unmovable during hard times. So, in other words, if Christ is light, another word for light is truth as well, he is saying his truth. What we read in his word will always dispel darkness. Another word for darkness is error or misinformation or being guided wrong. His light has the power to put us on the right path. And it also has the power to empower us to stay steady and true to him as we read his word. Now, this takes practice and time to develop, but it is a habit worth forming to read God's Word and believe what the Word says about Him. The Bible is very generous in describing who the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are. We need not guess or go to any great length to answer this question. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking each of us. Our greatest challenge will be to believe the truth no matter what. When we read the Bible, we are inspired to know our Father, the Messiah, the Son of God, and the Holy Spirit. We become intimate friends to the one who is sovereign. One of my favorite texts is John 1, 1, 2, and 3, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things was made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. What are we talking about here? Who is John referencing here? He's talking about Jesus. Do we believe that Jesus was in the beginning? Do we believe that Jesus is the Word? Do we believe that Jesus is God? These are very important questions we have to answer. Now, as an example, I wanted to go to the Bible. And we're going to look in Daniel 3. Well, I guess we need to start in Daniel 2, just to give a little backdrop. Now, what we're going to compare is what Daniel and the three Hebrew boys believed about God. And what Nebuchadnezzar believed about God. There's a difference here we will look at. There's knowing information about someone versus having information about someone and choosing to believe that information. Okay, so when we go to Daniel 2, we're not going to be able to do a really deep study of this. I'm just using this as an example to share with you what happens when we believe the truth about God. Okay, so as a backdrop here, Nebuchadnezzar is disturbed by a dream and he calls his wise man, you can find this in Daniel 2, to come and interpret the dream. Not only interpret it, but he actually wanted them to tell him what the dream actually was because he had forgotten. The Lord had taken the memory of the actual dream away, but he was disturbed enough to know that the dream was important. So his wise man come. And the wise men deliberately leave Daniel and the three Hebrew boys out of the conversation. They didn't invite him into this meeting. As the story goes, they cannot, number one, tell the king what the dream was, number two, interpret it. So a decree goes out that all the wise men will be killed. Well, this information gets back to Daniel, and Daniel asks the king for some time. The time is granted. Daniel goes back to the Lord, and Daniel and his friends Pray, now you can find this prayer in Daniel two, verse seventeen through twenty-three. And Daniel seventeen it says, "Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercy of God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon." Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Okay, so here, what does Daniel believe about God? Number one, Daniel believed that God was someone he could go to in time of trouble. Obviously believed that if it was God's will, God would reveal the secret to him so that he and his friends would not perish. Daniel prayed this prayer and he trusted God to bless them. In verse 20, the word of God says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. Daniel believed that God was all wisdom and all might, and he trusted in that. Now, as the story goes, Daniel takes this information before the king. Daniel reveals the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, and he also reveals the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. But this is what Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar about God in verse 28. But there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets and makes known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the vision of thy head upon thy bed are these. So he goes on to reveal to him what the king wanted to know. What does Daniel believe about God? that God is a revealer of secrets. Now go to verse 46 of the same chapter. This is chapter 2. It says, Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel and commanded that they should offer an obesion and sweet odor unto him. Verse 47. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou could reveal this secret. Now, what does Nebuchadnezzar now believe about God? I want to take just a brief pause here. I doubt very seriously that Nebuchadnezzar had never heard of the God of Israel. The surrounding nations, if you go to jeremiah and and Isaiah, you will find that other nations knew about the God of Israel. They knew that they only worshiped one God, they heard about the parting of the Red Sea and various places in the Word of God where God delivered them. Kings of other nations were not ignorant of this, and I don't believe that Nebuchadnezzar was ignorant of the God of Israel as well, however. 46 and 47 tells us that at this stage, and let's just give Nebuchadnezzar the benefit of the doubt. Let's say for instance he doesn't know anything about God. What he knows now or have been informed, or what I should say, what he is declaring about the God of Daniel and his three friends, is that God is a God of gods, that he is a Lord of kings, and that he is a revealer of secrets. Now, this is interesting because. If he is a lord of kings, Nebuchadnezzar is a king, correct? So, Nebuchadnezzar is saying, he is my lord. Okay, now this is just information that Nebuchadnezzar is taken in. He is probably overwhelmed. He is in awe. He recognizes that the god of Daniel has done something great that the other gods could not do. And he is just paying him some homage right now. Let's go on to chapter 3. And I just shared that information just to set up for you that Nebuchadnezzar is aware of this God that the three Hebrew boys are serving. Now the next scene changes and Nebuchadnezzar decides to make an image of himself and he wishes to be worshipped as a God. So he creates this huge monument of himself and it's pure gold. His commanding leaders of all these nations come together and worship and bow down and worship him as a god through this image that they have set up. But he runs into a problem. The three Hebrew boys, Daniel's companions, because of who they believe he is, they will not worship this golden image. They are commandment-keeping people, Daniel and his three friends. And what does the commandment say? The second commandment tells us that we are not to worship, we are not to make, we are not to serve other gods. And this is what they believe. Now, if you go with me to chapter 3, verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Verse 15. Now, if ye be ready, At any time ye hear the sound of the cornet, and he goes on to name the different instruments, he says, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And here's the question, he says, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now, this is interesting because early on when he's talking to Daniel, He tells Daniel who this God is. He says he's a God of gods. He's a Lord of kings. He is a revealer of of secrets. What does this tell us? It tells us that we can come into possession of information, reading the word of God. We can hear what is said about God, and we can choose not to believe it. Verse 16 tells us, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Meaning we have given this great thought. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. Now, what does the three Hebrew boys, Daniel's companion, believe about God? They believe that he is a deliverer. And based on the fact that they believe he is the God of gods, that he is the only God, that he is a deliverer, they're willing to go to a fiery furnace. They are willing to die because of what they believe about God. Verse 18, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. As you read on, this makes King Nebuchadnezzar very, very angry to the point he says that he wants the fiery furnace heated even seven times hotter. Now, because it was the will of God that the Hebrew boys not die in this fiery furnace, because the Hebrew boys believe that God is a deliverer, and at this point, the Lord is making a point that he is truly the God of all gods, God allows his three faithful servants who believe that he is a deliverer to be cast in the fiery furnace. Now, this is significant because the Hebrew boys could have prayed, Lord, do not let me be cast in the fire. And maybe they did. We don't know. But the point is, we can ask God to deliver us from something, but we don't know at what point he will deliver us. If he chooses to deliver us at all, it is totally up to him. We must trust that he is a deliverer and trust that he will deliver us when it best serves his purpose. They're cast into the fire. Chapter 3, verse 24, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, true, O king, the verse 25, he answered and said, lo, I see four loose, four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth looks like the son of God. God showed up. At what point did he show up? They believed that he was going to deliver them. He said he is a deliverer. They believed he had the power to deliver them. And that's exactly what he does. Here's a challenge for us. We want to dictate to the Lord when deliverance takes place. And the Lord is asking us to trust him. I'm going to deliver you, but I will decide when and how. I will even decide why. As the story goes, Nebuchadnezzar in verse 26. The Word of God tells us that Nebuchadnezzar came close to the fiery furnace, the mouth of this place where they had been thrown into. And I always found it interesting in this story that the three Hebrew boys remained in the fire with Jesus until Nebuchadnezzar told them to come out. Jesus could have prevented them from going in the fiery furnace period if he had wanted to. Jesus could have taken them out of the fiery furnace himself if he had wanted to. But because Nebuchadnezzar put them in the fire, he was required to take them out of the fire. I love this story. Now in verse 27, it says, And the princes, governors and captains and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whom bodies the fire had no power, nor was any hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom has sent his angels and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's words and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any God except their own God will always put us in a position where we will be able to make a decision whom we will trust, whom we will believe. If you want to believe Satan, you have that right. If you want to believe God, he will protect your right to believe him as well. Verse 29. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, language, which spake anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made of dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Nebuchadnezzar, in his zeal and in his excitement and his being overwhelmed and just completely taken off guard, he is demanding something that the Lord does not demand of us, and that is, The Lord does not demand that we worship him. He does not demand that we have a relationship with him. He does not demand that we serve him. So Nebuchadnezzar cannot do that as well. God does not accept that type of worship. If you say anything against this God, we're going to cut you into pieces. That's not the character of God. This is just something Nebuchadnezzar is doing. And you can also maybe interject here that Satan is trying to put his little two cents in to make people fear God, to worship him out of fear. Never, never, never is God asking us to do that, to worship him out of this type of fear. What have we learned today? So the truth about God is he is a deliverer. The challenge is if he will deliver, when he will deliver, how he will deliver. That's totally up to him. He is simply asking us to accept who he is and trust what doesn't make sense, what doesn't feel good, what we don't like to him and let him work it out. He will always, always do what is best for us. To those of you who have dyslexia, we learned today that God has the power and the authority to deliver us. If you want deliverance from fear, something that's coming up, say a test, a job interview, whatever it is, trust that the word of God is true. If Jesus says that he is a deliverer, That's exactly who he is. When we decide to believe him, he will do marvelous things in our life. Give him your dyslexia. Ask him to deliver you and be very specific about it. And he will decide if deliverance, the way you have outlined it to him, is best for you. He may have a different type of deliverance for you in mind. It could be that he leaves dyslexia in its place, but deliver you from the shame of it. Or he may deliver you from dyslexia altogether. It is so totally up to him. Trust that he knows what is best for you. Thank you once again for joining me. Next week, we will look at another biblical example that helps us to understand and answer the question, who is he? Thank you and have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you for listening to another episode from Dyslexia Uniquely Gifted. If you know an adult with dyslexia, please share these short devotionals with them. For more devotionals, please visit my website at www.wrpublication.com where you can read or listen to archived shows. Thank you again for joining Dyslexia Uniquely Gifted and be blessed.